I want to say it's so good to be here with you again tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 7. Amen. As you're turning there, I want to say it's so special to have Ben and Regina with me here tonight on a rainy Sunday night. They go to my church, Pleasant Grove Church of God. So thankful for you coming and worshiping with us here tonight. I was thinking about the rain and how it rained this morning and it rained tonight. And just a question that popped in my mind. What if you had to drive through the spiritual rain to get through the through the natural rain to get to the spiritual rain? Amen. I love Sunday night service. Years ago, my mom received the baptism of the Holy Ghost on Sunday night. So I'm thankful to be here tonight. Here tonight, I have a word that I want to share with you. It's found in Acts chapter 7. I'll be reading to you verses 52 through 56 out of the King James Version. Acts chapter 57, verse 52. These are the words of Stephen. Stephen is about to die. He's about to leave this world and go spend all of eternity with Christ. And these are some of the last words that he spoke. Acts chapter two, Acts chapter seven, verse fifty-two. Which of the prophets have your fathers? Which of the of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before the com- the coming of the just one, whom ye have been now, the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of the Father and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Here it is. Stephen is about to die. And he sees Jesus Christ standing. I want to talk to you tonight about a standing ovation. If you would, please bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, I pray you have your way here tonight. Lord, as we are living in the last days and as as every day draws near to the second coming of your son, Christ, Lord, I pray that we will not be people pleasers. Lord, I pray that we will not have the desire to please people, but, Father, Lord, that we will have a desire to please the one that left heaven, came down to earth, that died on the cross for our sins and resurrected three days later. Lord, I pray that we will seek the approval of you, God, and not the applaud of man. Have your way here tonight, Lord, and I pray that you encourage your people in a supernatural way. And, Lord Jesus, I pray that as your word says in the book of James, that we will not be hearers of the word, but we will be doers of the word as well. Have your way here tonight, Lord. In your mighty name we pray and we ask. Let everybody say amen. Standing ovation. A standing ovation is a type of applause. It is when someone um, is a form of applause where members of a seated audience stand up while applauding for extraordinary performance. People only do standing ovations for, for someone that they feel is important or someone that did a great job. At times, it would seem that people on this earth are living their lives for, for standing ovations and for the applaud of men. But I want to warn you something here tonight, church. We are not to seek the approval of man, but we are to seek the approval of God. He is the one that we need to receive approval from. 
Here it is that you have in Acts chapter 6, you have these disciples that they were, that they were over this business and they were, they were distributing food daily. And the reason that they were doing this was because back in this day and time, those of them that were Jews, when they became Christian, they were ostracized by their family. They were alienated. They were left to fend for themselves to take care of themselves. So what the church was doing in Acts chapter 6 is they were distributing food and they were taking care of people. How many of you know that we are the body of Christ and that we are brothers and sisters? And it's one thing, and I don't want this to come off the wrong way because I firmly believe that there's power in prayer and prayer changes things. But can I just tell you something here tonight? It's one thing for somebody to say that I don't have any money or any food to eat. It's one thing for somebody to say I'm praying for you and another thing for somebody to actually pull out a 20 and say, God bless you, let me help you out. But here it was at the first church that they were helping people and they were distributing food to one another. Well, however, these men, these disciples, one day they said, men, they said, let us find someone else to put over this business so that we can give ourselves continually in prayer and in the ministry of the word found in Acts 6, 4. First off, I want to ask you something, church. When's the last time we gave ourselves continually in prayer and in ministry of the word? Amen. People say, well, it doesn't matter how much you read your Bible or how much you pray. Well, does it matter how much money you make? Does it matter how much food you eat? Those things matter. And so here it is. They said, let us find seven men. I'm in verse three. Let us find seven men. And listen how they describe them of honest report. Are you a person of your word? For the Bible says that we do not need to swear, but we need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Whenever you say you're going to do something, do you do it? Can people take you at your word? Or simply do you walk around, march around, tell everybody that you're a Christian and a God-filling believer, but yet nobody can believe anything that you say because you say one thing, but yet you do another one. What kind of witness and example are we setting when we don't keep our word? The second one, it says, full of the Holy Ghost. I want to ask you here tonight, are you filled with the Holy Ghost? And when I ask that, I mean with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I want to tell you something, friends. It is truly important. For I was on my way to heaven before I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Do you have to speak in other tongues to go to heaven? No. But can I tell you something, friends? It's a little bit extra firepower down here on the earth. And we all need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. For might I remind you that Jesus, before he was raptured up into heaven, that he told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and to tarry until they would, be, until they would receive power from on high. Power for what? Power to be witnesses. And I want to tell you something, church. I know we're living in the last days. It might seem like it's dark. It may seem like the world around us don't want to hear the gospel message, don't want to hear about God. But I want to tell you something. When you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you can run to the darkness and be the light, be the very person that God has called you to be. Some of you may say, but Caleb, I'm just a shy person. I'm not very bold at all. My friends, once you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you will be as bold as you need to be and be commissioned for the service that God has called you to. Can I tell you something? I don't know about in the assembly of God because I'm licensed through the church of God, though I preach in all movements and denominations. But can I tell you in the church of God years ago, when I went to fill out my minister's application, one of the mandatory things on there was being filled with the Holy Ghost. That's how important it is. So they said that they wanted somebody that was of honest report in verse 3, full of the Holy Ghost and 
wisdom. If anyone seeks wisdom, let him ask. And it says, whom we may appoint over this business. Well, now here in verse 5, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen. Listen how they describe Stephen. A man, of, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. So here it is that the, the uh, search committee is now looking for seven men. And the very first person that they came to was Stephen. The first one that came to their mind was Stephen. I want to ask you something, church. If your pastor or an elder in the church was looking for somebody of honest report, somebody filled with the Holy Ghost, somebody filled with wisdom, would you be somebody that would meet the criteria? If you don't write this moment, can I tell you here tonight, you can Stephen was the very first person that they chose. And I want to tell you, friends, it's truly amazing when you think about it, Stephen's attitude, because Stephen now began serving in this ministry. But the awesome thing with Stephen was, is you could even make the argument that in a few verses later that Stephen becomes a great evangelist because the Bible says that he's preaching and miracles are being performed and take place. But however, though, when Stephen was first chosen to be appointed over this ministry, notice his attitude. He didn't say, well, don't you know that I'm called to preach as well? Don't you know that I'm going to be the next great evangelist? But simply he served wherever he was at. I want to ask you a question here tonight, church. Will you serve wherever you're asked or simply are some things too far below you? If servanthood is below you, then my goodness, leadership is far above you. We got to check ourselves and our egos and ask ourselves, are we willing to serve in the body of Christ and in the local church wherever they may see fit? I want to tell you, when I was 15 years old, God called me to be an evangelist. One day I may step out, plant a church and be a pastor, may do something else, I don't know. But until God deliberately speaks to me, I'm going to keep on evangelizing. I was a youth pastor for a short time at my home church, Pleasant Grove Church of God. I didn't feel called to be a youth pastor. No, I, I, I knew that my calling was not youth ministry. I didn't have a problem with the kids. I had a problem with the parents, but anyways, but, 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 but I just knew that it wasn't my call, and you know, I, I'll tell just one story. There was one time we were fundraising for this thing called Winterfest that we used to go to every year. We've been doing fundraisers, raising money. I needed money to meet the deadline. I told the parents, you have to have so much money in by this deadline so I can send it into Knoxville, Tennessee, and the parents said, okay. Had the permission slip signed and everything, and the day after I sent the money off, one of the parents came to me and said, my three kids aren't going. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, you got to get me out of this youth ministry and back in evangelizing. But the point was, I saw a need in the church, so I tried my best to do it. I want to ask you here tonight, if asked, will you work with the youth? Will you work with the kids? Will you be an usher? Will you be a greeter? Will you do something behind the scenes, uh, 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 whether it's cleaning the church or whatever the case may be? Are you willing to do anything to serve in the body of Christ? Or simply, do you have to have a position on the stage and be front and center for everybody to see you? Where is your heart at here tonight? Now, see, one thing that I find interesting in the early church, here it is that they have this committee of, of seven people they're looking for. They find them. Stephen was the first one chosen. Then the Bible says that they brought them to the apostles. They brought them to the disciples. They laid hands on them, prayed over them, and commissioned them, meaning that they were setting them apart for doing a special service. See, one thing that the early church realized and understood that we don't seem to understand today is that they believe that whatever you were doing in the body of Christ was important. Therefore, you didn't have these people walking around talking about me and mine and how good I am and all and I'm so talented and all of this but simply they understood that the spotlight didn't belong to them they knew it wasn't about them but they knew it was about a man that left heaven came down to earth they died on the cross for our sins and they knew that they were okay being in the shadows of the spotlight of Christ 
I want to ask you here tonight, who are you trying to please? And let me just go back for a moment when talking about serving. Here it is. It's a rainy Sunday night. Uh, Sunday night attendance in most churches is always off compared to Sunday morning. I just want to ask you something. Who are you trying to please? And do you worship different based off crowd size? Can I be honest with you? There are some churches and church services that I go to that as soon as I get there and I listen to the people speak for five minutes, I'm ready to go ahead and get up out of there because I see clearly they ain't doing nothing but going through the motions. I'm not saying y'all are here tonight, but I can remember last October I was preaching a revival service at the church. It was a Tuesday night. It was raining. The crowd attendance was off, and the people were walking around out the foyer saying, where is everybody? They said they want to have revival. Ain't nobody here. And you know what happened? The, the, the praise team got up. Honestly, they did a half-hearted job because not many people were there. They just went through the motions. I guess they expected me to go through the motions. I want to tell you something. I don't care if we have 500 or five people. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm not preaching for you, but the one that I'm preaching for sits at the right hand of God. And I want to tell you something, church. I'm not going through motions. I don't care if this place is packed out like it was this morning. I don't care if it's just a few of us. Because first off, let me tell you something. I'd rather have 10 people that sincerely love the Lord than 10,000 that just want to show up and play church on Sunday anyways. Do you worship differently? Do you sing differently? Do you preach differently? Do you respond differently when there's a lot of people versus when there's not? I'm not mad. I'm just passionate. <laughs> Amen. Nothing wrong with it. Some people get passionate over fishing, over football, over movies, video games, all this other stuff. I'll be honest, there's only two things on this earth that I really get passionate about. One is my kids and two is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So who are you trying to please? Galatians 1.10. For do I now persuade men or God or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be a servant of Christ. That's not a hard word from Caleb Gordon. That's just the Bible. You cannot please God and please man. And we must ask ourselves, who are we trying to please? Can I tell you that sometimes to please God, you have to make man mad? See, one problem that we have, and I'm so thankful that I don't have this, but some people, they live their whole lives trying to please people, trying to please everybody, just want to be liked by everybody, just want to be popular. Newsflash, not everybody's going to like you, so you might as well go ahead and get over it and live a lifestyle that's pleasing to the Almighty. So we have people that are always seeking the approval of men. In Matthew chapter 2, here it is that the wise men, they've seen the star. They know that the, that the Messiah is about to be born, or that the Messiah is born, and they are searching for him. Here it is that they are looking for him because they understood the sign and the significance and the importance. Well, Herod, being a king, he wanted to have a secret meeting with the wise men. And he told them, that when you find the Messiah, that when you find this Jesus, I want you to report back to me so I may go and worship him as well. 
But can I tell you, friends, it was a plot and an evil trap because Herod did not want to go to worship Christ, but simply Herod wanted to go to have Christ killed because Herod knew that a king would rise up and he didn't want anybody to take his kingsmanship. So what Herod was doing is he was having all the baby's boys uh, uh, viciously murdered and slaughtered like sheep. And so he wanted to go to find Jesus to do this to him. Well, anyways, after talking and meeting with the wise men, they go on to meet and to worship the baby Christ. And as they are doing that, God warns them in a dream that they need to return to their homeland, but they need to go a different way. And so they go a different way instead of going back the way they came and talking to Herod. Well, when Herod heard that he had been outwitted by the wise men, Herod became furious. What's my point? Sometimes you're going to make people mad, but the best thing for you to do is to please God. Can I tell you something, friends? You can only truly be happy if you know that you're pleasing God. Don't try to please man. As I said this morning, some of the same ones that were saying Hosanna a week later were the same ones crucifying him. So we need to get over this trying to please everybody and please the one that first loved us. Amen. Who are you trying to please here tonight? There's a pastor that I preach for in Dunlap, Tennessee. And he told me, he was sharing some things with me last year, and he was telling me, he said, Caleb, he said, we've had some problems at the church. This man, he had been evangelizing for nearly 15, 20-something years, and he felt led and called by God to go into the pastorate. And he said, Caleb, he said, we've had some problems at the church. And he said, the reason why is because whenever we would have new visitors come in, some people would try to run them off. And he said, there's this one family that had been dictators and been controlling and running the church for years. And he said, but a lot of other pastors in the past. He said they didn't want to do nothing about it. They didn't want to change nothing. They didn't want to tell the family that they need to get right with God or they need to go up the road. And the reason why was because they were one of the biggest tithe-paying members in the church. Now, I know nobody likes to talk about money in church, but I'm going to do it for just a second if you don't mind. I don't know how it works exactly in the Assembly of God by containing the Church of God. The pastor gets paid off the tithe. And so this you have this family that was paying tithes. It was the biggest tithe-payer in the church. Well, the pastor, he said, Caleb, he said, I was an evangelist for years, always did what God told me to, always preach. And he said, I'm so sick and tired of this family trying to be a dictator and run new people off and tell me what to preach and how to do the service. He said, I'm not putting up with it anymore. And he said, so finally I told him, he said, I'm not trying to run you off. I don't want you to leave. But he said, this nonsense has got to come to an end. You want to know what happened? That, 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 that family, they went to a church up the road. And guess what? They took about $40,000 worth of ties with them. You do the math. He was a full-time pastor when he first went to the church. Well, guess what? After losing $40,000 a year, he ain't a full-time pastor no more. He had to get a job and not just him, but his wife as well. But he said, Caleb, he said, it's okay. He said, I'm believing one day that we're going to be full-time pastors again. He said, but ever since this family finally left and went to a church up the road, he said, God's been moving in the services. And he said, people are being saved, being baptized, being delivered. I want to tell you, church, that's what it's going to take in this day. It's going to take somebody that's going to stand up with a backbone to be a real man, be be a real woman of God and say come hell or high water I don't care if you like me I don't care if you talk about me I don't care if you take all your money down the road or what if you try to allow me whatever it is you're going to do I won't please God and do what it is that God has wanted you to do but I want to tell you a problem that we have that's not just in Tennessee we got the same thing in Alabama I don't care if it's church of God Baptist Methodist Assembly of God whatever the case may be you got a lot of pastors that as long as they got money people throwing money in the offering plate one pastor even said 
said this. He said, I'll preach whatever they want me to as long as they keep throwing money in the plate. I don't want to offend nobody, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to prostitute myself to nobody because I was bought at a high price. For my, I remind you, the Bible says in the book of Peter that I was bought at a high price. We're not with things such as were corruptible, such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Lamb. I want to tell you something, church. We can't sell out to man and allow people to do what they want to do, but might I remind you, this is not your church. It's not pastor's church. It's not the assembly of God's church, but Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. We got to stop pleasing people and start pleasing God. But you got to ask yourself, who were you trying to please in this life? Can I just be open and honest with you? We have some men that are truly not being the men of God they should be because all they're trying to do is please their wives. We have some women that aren't the women of God that they should try to be because all they're trying to do is just please their kids and let the kids run the household. I know I wasn't going to get no amens. I wasn't expecting it. But I want to tell you something. We got to make the main thing the main thing and please God first. If we please God first, then our house will be in order. You have some people in churches that simply they're just trying to please the pastor and get on his good side and do this and that. But I want to tell you something, friends. You're not just serving in a local church or your pastor, but you're serving Jesus Christ. Here it is. That you have Stephen, a man that was filled with the Holy Ghost. And he's preaching the word, and the people are not liking what they're hearing. Imagine that. Isn't it amazing how people don't like to hear the truth? You know, something, you know, I've heard people say things about me before, and I always um, I, I understand what they're saying, but I kind of disagree. I, I've heard people, and people have told me this before. They say, well, Caleb, you preach hard. Well, honestly, I kind of disagree. I don't really think I preach hard at all. It's just we live in a super sensitive generation, so whenever somebody does preach the truth, then people get mad and upset. But the truth is, I don't really preach hard. I just preach to you out of the Bible. You want to know somebody that actually preached hard? Let me give you an example. There was a man by the name of Jesus that preached hard. You don't believe me? Let me give you some Bible. The Bible says in the book of John chapter 6 that he spoke a hard word. The people said, this is a hard word. Who can understand it? Who can here. And your Bible says that many of the disciples left him and followed him no more. And then Jesus, he looked to the 12 and he said, are you offended as well? Notice what he said. He didn't say that a boy for y'all sticking with me when the other ones left. But he said, are you offended as well? Are you going to leave too? And Simon Peter spoke up and he said, but Lord, but who will we go to? He said, for thou art the Christ, the living son of God. My friends, I want to tell you something that you have people that they say this in revivals. They say, we like it when you tell the truth. We like it when you preach it hard. But the problem is when I tell it like it is, whenever I preach it hard, I notice people get mad. They get upset. They may not say anything to me. They may not say anything to pastor, but then they don't come back. They won't come back till Thursday. Won't come back till next week. But I want to tell you something. We need to quit getting offended and allow the word of God to do on the inside of us what God intended for it to do. And so... And so here it is, Stephen, he is preaching to these men, and these men, they get upset with him, and they lay hands on him. When I say they lay hands on him, I don't mean they prayed for him. But they laid hands on him, and here it is that they begin questioning him. And they asked him, 
are these things so? In Acts chapter 7, verse 1. And the thing that I love about Stephen was the man's response. Stephen did not become defensive, but instead he went on the offensive. The offensive of what? Of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something, church? We all could do a lot more for God if we just quit being so defensive about some things. Amen. And point everything back to Christ. And so what Stephen does is he, is he begins, he starts at the very beginning, and he starts with Moses and the, and the prophets and the law going all the way through it. And then he comes up to, to, to the Christ, and he asks them the question, which of the prophets have your fathers not killed? And he begins preaching the gospel message to them. And here it is that the people are mad, and the people are upset, and, and they gnashed on him with their teeth, and they begin throwing rocks at this man and stoning this man, literally killing this man. But here it is that this man had made up his mind being filled with the Holy Ghost that he was going to please God, that he was going to do whatever it was that God called him to do, even if it cost him his life. Isn't it amazing how nowadays in North American church that, that we got to do this and we got to do that and say, well, God, we'll do this if it makes sense. And, and if it's in our comfort zone, if it doesn't hurt too much. But I want to tell you something, church, the, the first church, they didn't have those problems. They weren't worried about the air conditioner was out or if this or that was going on, they didn't worry about a little bit of rain because they were too busy being thrown in jail, too busy being whipped. I want to tell you something, church. You got to ask yourself, are you going to please God no matter what it costs you? Will you give your all for him? Because Jesus gave his all for you. Amen. And so here it is that they are stoning Stephen to death. This man is about to die, literally, for preaching the gospel. And Stephen, looking up into heaven, and as he's looking up into heaven, he said, that I see Jesus standing. Maybe that doesn't do much for you, but that gives me Holy Ghost bumps all over my body. Because the Bible says in Mark 16, 9, 16, 19, Jesus was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. It's amazing how in one place in the Bible, Jesus is sitting. But Stephen said, I see him standing. Why was Christ standing? What caught his attention? What got the Son of God to stand up? I don't want to go in some unhealthy places because I've heard this preached on ever since I was a kid, teenager. And to be honest, I've heard a lot of preachers say some things that really make me uncomfortable going outside of the Bible and speculation. I've heard some people say that Jesus was cheering him on, that he was clapping, that he was telling him it wouldn't be much longer. I don't know what Jesus said. To be honest, I don't know what Jesus said anything at all. Stephen didn't say, I heard Christ speak or he said this to me or he was clapping. Stephen just simply said, I saw him standing. But why was the Son of God standing? See, so many times we try to receive the approval of man, but we need the approval of God. 
Stephen said to himself, or, or I'm sorry, Stephen thought to himself, he came to the conclusion that he'd rather die pleasing God than live and please man. So here it is. He's being stoned to death. He sees Jesus standing. And he says these words that we only hear three times in the Bible. They're somewhat similar. The first person that, that, that said something was Jesus. Jesus was being crucified on the cross. He was about to die on the cross, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen, as he's literally being murdered, as he's being, as he's being murdered, he says, lay it not to their charge. And as Stephen dies, his coat was cast at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. That man later got knocked off his high horse on the road on Damascus, and he went from being a cold-blooded murderer to becoming the great apostle Paul. And then here it is years later, you have Paul on trial getting ready to die in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. And Paul says, lay it not to their charge. Filled with the Holy Ghost. Such hearts of compassion. Think about this. Stephen gave it all for preaching the gospel. I get so sick and tired of ministers nowadays. They say, I've sacrificed. I've done this. I've done that. Nobody appreciates me. They lied on me. They stabbed me in the back. And I'm thinking to myself, get over it already. God never one time said that ministry would be glorious. He never one time said it would be easy. Didn't Jesus one time said, if the world hated me, they'll hate you as well? Maybe we need to really reevaluate ourselves before we tell everyone we're called into the ministry. You want to know that what a lot of ministers my age are trying to do, what their goals is? I'll just be honest. Honestly, I don't talk to many ministers my age or below because they they have their priorities set in the wrong things. They're so busy, uh, you know, trying to create a podcast, trying trying to figure out how they get more followers on Twitter. You know, uh, how many likes and subscriptions can get on their on their YouTube account and all of this stuff. They want everybody to talk about what a great preacher they are and all this other nonsense. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't care if anybody likes my preaching or not. As long as I'm preaching what God wants me to, I know that I'm making him happy. We got to ask ourselves, why are we doing what we're doing? Who are we trying to please? I know most of you, if hardly any of you have ever evangelized. So can I just be honest and transparent and tell you what it's like being an evangelist? I'm thankful for my schedule that I'm very busy. And literally, I preach almost every single Sunday of the year. Uh, as a matter of fact, the last Sunday that I didn't preach that I can recall was, um, was a special Sunday. I mean, some of them you don't get to preach, like Christmas, uh, you, know, you know, certain Sundays. But anyways, I can remember when I was younger. I started preaching when I was 19 years old, and I would go to these churches. I'd preach my heart out. It weren't very good sermons, I know, back then, but I'd preach my heart out, and I noticed I wasn't getting many invitations back. So I started doing some inventory and started asking myself, and I asked somebody very close to me at that time, what am I doing wrong? Am I preaching too long? As I said this morning, some places, I mean, you know, you preach over 30 minutes, people are about to have a come apart on you. But the opposite, if you don't preach long enough at some places, people will be rude to you. What am I talking about? There's been some churches I preached at before, and somebody walked up to me, and they said, Caleb, that was a good little sermonette, but how about you bring a full sermon with you next time? I'm thinking, God, you better anoint me so I don't touch this person. Sometimes I used to ask myself back in the day, not now, but back in the day, I would ask myself, did I preach too hard? Did I not preach hard enough? Was I too loud? 
Is it something that I did? Did I not read all their version of the Bible? What did I do wrong? And a mentor of me said, okay, well, maybe you didn't do anything wrong. Maybe you did exactly what God wanted you to do. And for whatever reason, they just don't want to have you back. And so evangelizing is very tough because you only get to preach when somebody extends an invitation to you. You know, I was 21 years old. I could have held a tent revival on my own and went and preached to a bunch of empty chairs and hoped that somebody just wandered up and sat down and listened to me. But I didn't know anybody. Nobody knew me. So the only way for me to do what God has called me to do to preach was when pastors invited me. So I had to ask myself, what am I going to do? Am I going to try to just go from church to church, just preach my hot ones, my top five best sermons to try to impress people? Am I going to cater and do it how everybody thinks that I should do it and what they want me to do so that I can get an invitation back? I remember one time, one evangelist is very well known. He told me, he said, Caleb, when you go to these churches and preach, always preach relevant messages or you will not be invited back. And I started scratching my head. Well, what exactly is a relevant message? I mean, apparently God thought it was relevant enough to put it in 66 books of the Bible. So if it's in the Bible, what exactly is relevant? I mean, I understand people don't want to hear, uh, you know, a whole sermon on the old law. I understand that. But what is relevant? And so I just came to a place, I said, you know what, I'm not going to worry about it. These churches aren't inviting me back, but praise God, there's millions or more of them on the planet. And if nobody will have me back, then I'll just have to plant my own church and preach myself or whatever I got to do and make myself happy. But I came to a decision where I said, God, I don't care if anybody invites me back or not. I don't care if I ever get asked to do revival. I don't care if they ever give me an invitation for the first time after listening to the CD. I'm going to preach the word the way you want me to preach. I'm going to preach as hard as you tell me to preach. I'm going to do and say exactly what what it is you tell me to do, and when I'm done, I'll sit down, give an altar call, and let somebody else do it. But God, I'm going to do what it is you want me to do, and I want to tell you something. I know, honestly, truth be told, I'm not the best preacher on the planet. I know there's other guys that can preach revelation backward and forward and explain it to you a thousand times better than I can. I know there's other evangelists that can flow in the gifts of the Spirit much better than I can, and they can act like a prophet. I know there's other guys that can articulate themselves, come up with better sermon illustrations and examples and all this other stuff that I can't do, but I want to tell you something I made up my mind come hell or high water as long as I got breath in my body I'm gonna lift up the name that's above every name you may not like it you may not appreciate it you may not get with me at times but as long as I know that my father up in heaven is pleased I know that one day whenever I leave this earth and cross over into eternity I'm gonna hear the words well done my lord and faithful servant for good is your reward I want to tell you something people we cannot please people we got to live to please God Somebody say amen in this church here tonight. But we've got some ministers my age and perhaps even some that are older that simply they just want to be known for the preaching ability. Uh, some of my friends that are my age or around my age, they say, well, I want people to think that I'm a good preacher and this and that. And I say to myself, the best compliment of all, honestly, is not when people tell me if I preach a good sermon or not. But the best compliment of all is when people say that they felt the presence of God in the service. Might I remind you, in the book of Ezekiel, God comes to the prophet and he speaks to the prophet. And he tells the prophet that, yes, the people are 
are coming to hear you preach, Ezekiel. He said, but however, their hearts are after their own covenants, talking about money. So he said that the people come to hear you preach, but they're not doing my word. They're not keeping it with them. He said to them that you are as one that plays an instrument, as one that sings a lovely song. In other words, he's telling the prophet to the children of Israel, he's nothing more but an entertainer to their sight. You want me to tell you where to go if you want to be entertained? The BJCC. They will gladly take your money, credit card, debit card, cash, and they will entertain you for hours. But how many of you know we don't come to church to be entertained? We come to hear the word of God. You may not always hear what you like to or what you want to. But we come to be changed by the word. First Thessalonians 2, 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing man, but God tries our hearts. I want to ask you something here tonight, church, what's in your heart? Who are you trying to please? We only get one life to live. Can't we make the best of it? Jesus Christ died in blood and bled on a a tree for us. Can we not live for him? Brother Lightford, is it okay if I talk to you for a moment like it's just you and me in the room? Is that okay? Amen. The rest of y'all can listen, but it's just me and him right now. I want you as long as you're the pastor, to keep doing whatever God has told you to do. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I don't care if every person in this sanctuary gets up and leaves and goes down the road. That's between them and God. But what you're called to do is do what God has called you to do. Jonathan is an associate pastor the same thing. Can I tell you something? There will be people. I'm not prophesying no prophet. I'm just telling the truth. There are going to be people that are going to leave. They're going to leave with you as an associate. If one day if you become the lead pastor, they're going to leave anyways. And guess what? It don't mean that you did or said anything wrong. It just means that they're leaving for whatever reason. Maybe God called them to leave, or maybe they just leave because they want to leave. But let me tell you something. People are fickle. See, here's what happens. When I become a pastor, one two things is going to happen in the church. Either that thing's going to grow, become a mega church, or those people are going to run me off in six months. Probably going to be the second one, so I just keep on evangelizing. But I done made up my mind that, honey, this church don't belong to you. We're not doing what you want to do. I'm not going to say what you want me to say, but we're going to get in the move of God, allow God to move and to flow and to operate. And as long as I'm the pastor, as long as I'm the bishop, as long as I'm the overseer of this place, we're going to allow God to come and do whatever it is he wants to do. I want to tell you something, church. We got to realize and understand people will get mad at us. They will get upset at us, lie on us, and go somewhere up the road. But my goodness, pray for the person on the way out. Hold the door open for them as they walk out. Tell them if they ever need anything that you are right here. But my goodness, church, we got to keep moving forward in the name of the Lord. We got to keep doing what God has called us to do. We got to learn how not to be so sensitive, how not to get our feelings hurt, how not to let every little thing bother us. Aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't let a little uh, sensitivity stop him? 
from going to the cross. He knew people would curse him. He knew people would use his name in vain. He knew people that would lie on him, people that would never follow him. But he said, I've been sent on a mission by my father. And then when he was at the end of it, he said, it is finished. I want to tell you something, church. Our work isn't finished yet. There's still more people right here in Mount Off that don't know God. There's still more drug addicts that need to get saved. There's still more alcoholics that need to hear the gospel message. There's still more homosexuals that's going to come to know the Lord. I want to tell you something, church. God's about to show up and show out. But first, we got to find a church that will please him. Are you pleasing God in your day-to-day lifestyle? I'm not talking now about as a church, but I'm talking about as individuals. Are you pleasing the Father? Here's an honest question. Are you even trying? God knows we're human. But are you trying to please him? Would I want my kids to remember me when I'm dead and gone years from now? I don't care for my kids to say, Dad was a great preacher. This, I can't care less about that. I want my kids one day to be able to say that our dad, Caleb Gordon Sr., always tried his best to please the Lord. Because that is what it's all about. Amen. If you would, please stand as I'm ready to close. I'm going to make altar call very simple here tonight. I've changed the way that I do altar call somewhat because I've noticed when I name this particular thing or that particular thing, people stand there with their arms folded and say, well, he didn't name the thing I'm going through, so I'm not going forward. So I'm going to make altar call tonight as simple for you as possible. If you want to please God with the way that you live, I'm going to invite you right now to get out of your seat and to come down here. It's that simple. 